wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to Wrestle Rant Radio for September 6, 2018. I am Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. On the heels of All In last Saturday, an absolutely awesome show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We're breaking down the full pay-per-view here on WrestleRant Radio today. And of course, talking about Raw, SmackDown, 205 Live, and all the latest happenings in the realm of WWE. But before we get started, as always, guys, as I had mentioned, Graham G.S. Matthews here. You can find me on the social media platforms, including on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook as well at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews, on YouTube at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GSM Matthews. And of course on nextairwrestling.net as well. Not only can you check out full episodes of Wrestle Rant Radio there, but also on iTunes. It's now easier than ever to listen to Wrestle Rant Radio on the regular. Simply search up Wrestle Rant Radio on your Apple Podcast app, rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. You not only get every new episode on Thursdays, but almost five years worth of content dating back to October 2013. So we're quickly approaching our five-year anniversary of the show. Pretty amazing to think about. Appreciate your support of the show over the last five years. Continue to support the show, as I said, by subscribing on iTunes today or simply by listening on nextairwrestling.net. So speaking of which... Before I even get to All In, you can check out my full written review of the show, which I put up uh, on Sunday afternoon. I did not watch the show live as I talked about last week. I was working, though I did watch it late Saturday night, early Sunday. It was a long show, including the pre-show as well, which I will be discussing soon enough, but well worth the time. Um, There was a lot of buzz around the pay-per-view. A lot of people thought that it might not meet their lofty expectations. I thought it did. may not have exceeded them, but I thought as a show, it was thoroughly enjoyable. For those saying it was the greatest wrestling show of all time, that might be a bit much. Maybe the best show of 2018 so far. Um, I would not even go that far, but again, for what it was, I thought it was an awesome show with a lot of awesome, memorable matches and moments that I'll be getting to momentarily. But um, in addition to that, like I said, my full written review up right now on nextairwrestling.net. In addition to my full written reviews of Raw, SmackDown, NXT, 205 Live, Main Event, and even other companies, including Ring of Honor, Lucha Underground, Impact, uh, which is also doing great things right now. So be sure to check out the website for my full written reviews of all those shows and companies every single week right there on the website. So before we get into my in-depth analysis of All In from last Saturday, do you want to mention this briefly? This was announced on Tuesday. For those clamoring for a second season of Mixed Match Challenge, well, you're in luck. Um, the show is coming back. is being renewed for a second season in a mere two weeks. The show, I think, was hyped up for, like, weeks on end when it first debuted earlier on this year, right around Royal Rumble time. 
Now, it's only been five months since the last season. WWE's treating like it's been a year, it's an annual thing. Like, it only fucking ended five months ago. Like, calm down. The first season really wasn't that good to begin with. I thought it was enjoyable for what it was. Never really featured any amazing matches or anything along those lines. I thought it was good for what it was. Like I said, I thought it was enjoyable. Didn't really necessitate or justify doing a second season, but if they want to get their, um, you know, the charities up or whatever to raise money for a certain charity, that's all well and good. If they want to fucking, you know, get their Facebook numbers up or whatever the case might be, because if I recall correctly, the numbers for the show really were not lighting the world on fire during that first season. They were for maybe the first episode or two. Beyond that, it was a steady, slow decline for Mixed Match Challenge. And again, the show is not amazing enough to justify people tuning into that over like 205 Live or SmackDown. With so much content nowadays between Raw, between SmackDown, between 205 Live, between NXT, and now the renewal of Mixed Match Challenge. And even this past week, the Mae Young Classic came back on Wednesday night after NXT. In addition to all the other stuff they're doing on the network right now, not only the shows like Ride Along and Storytime and Table for Three and shows like that, but I'm talking, you know, Total Divas is coming back in a couple weeks. We had Ms. and Mrs. wrap up their first season a few weeks ago. We have Evolution coming up next month. WWE Super Showdown coming up next month. We have Hell in a Cell next Sunday. We also have the, if you, in case you forgot, the thousand episodes, uh, the thousand episode celebration of SmackDown Live next month on October 16th. I completely forgot about it until like yesterday. So WWE is spending all this time hyping up, hyping up so many things at once, and they wonder why so many of the things that they do do not feel special, um, because it feels like at least on the Raw side they focus way on, on way too many things at once, and none of the things that they focus on really feel special as a result, like Super Showdown, who cares, the build for Hell in a Cell, at least on the Raw side, very lackluster, um, Evolution, right now, I talked about it in an article for Daily DDT this past week, but eh, it's kind of left something to be desired, Lita and Mickey James, which was a match that was added this past week to the pay-per-view, we had Trish Stratus and Lexa Bliss added a few weeks ago, All well and good, but if they don't make any storyline sense, then who the hell can possibly care? Like, I know they want to get retweets and their social media numbers up, which is exactly why they put out that dumbass graphic on Sunday, Monday, whatever it was, about, like, The Shield being the greatest faction of all time. I'm not even going to waste a split second talking about that because that's what they want you to do. They want you to talk about it, conversate, Get their number, get their numbers up on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter. Leave comments, all that other stuff. Why do you think they do it? It's for that reason alone. They don't care about your opinion. They don't care about my opinion. That's why they create those lists on .com. Sometimes they're on point. Most of the time, they're pretty polarizing. If only for the fact that they want to get you talking. They want you to come back and read their dumbass lists just so you can talk about it and share it on your social media platforms and get people to follow them on their various social media platforms. So I'm not surprised. Um, But the point I'm trying to make here with Mixed Match Challenge is that it's just too much. It's too much and it's unnecessary. I was very, honestly, it was pretty crazy. I was thinking right before, I think I was in class at that point when I read the announcement that before I had read the announcement, I was thinking like, hmm, you know, we have the Mae Young Classic coming up and I, I cover all this stuff. Now, I probably made a mistake by covering the Mixed Match Challenge. 
Um, I'm the type of person that if I start something, I can't stop it. So if I covered the first season, I'm going to cover the second season too. I don't know if I'll talk about it here in the show, but I certainly will write up a quick review for nextdaywrestling.net every Tuesday night after it goes off the air from around. And usually I am. Um, but that's in addition to 205 Live and SmackDown and again, everything else going on right now in WWE. I just think it's way too much. But again, purely my opinion. Um, the show, again, the first time around really did not justify doing a second season. I thought it was good. The Miz and Asuka one, you would never know because Asuka's done nothing of note since. In fact, mere days after she won the Mixed Match Challenge, her undefeated streak was ended at the hands of Charlotte at WrestleMania. And what the fuck has she done since? You know, so it's not like the winners went on to superstardom or something. Like it was a mere five months ago and people have already quickly moved on from it and have quickly forgotten about anything involving the Mixed Match Challenge because it's a cool concept and they have some nice teams, especially this time around, which I'll get to in a second. But I really, again, I will be covering it for the website, but beyond that, I really have no burning desire to put aside 20 minutes of my time, to put aside 20 minutes of my day to watch another season of Mixed Match Challenge, which will likely lead us into the close of 2018. But real quick, before we get to All In, I will run off the teams here. For the second season of Mixed Match Challenge, um, we have a number of returning teams, four returning teams from last season, all of which I'm glad they're bringing back. Obviously, you have to bring back Miz and Asuka, who are the current reigning champions, so that didn't really surprise me that they did that. We have Miz and Asuka, now that they're both on SmackDown, too. Um, Alexa Bliss and Braun Strowman, Team Little Big from Raw, so I'm glad they're back, and Braun Strowman's now a heel, so it makes more sense. So I'm, I'm hoping they win the whole thing. I don't know why they wouldn't at this point with Asuka no longer being undefeated. So I'm hoping they will. So we have Braun Strowman, Alexa Bliss, uh, Miz and Asuka. We have Jimmy Uso and Naomi, Rusev and Lana, um, all teams that are returning from the last season. So for the new teams, we have the current SmackDown Women's Champion Charlotte Flair and AJ Styles teaming up. We have R-Truth and Carmella, which was kind of kicked off this past week on SmackDown. Bobby Lashley and Sasha Banks, an interesting tandem. Finn Balor and Bayley, who obviously have history from their days in NXT. Not on TV, but like anyone who has closely followed the careers of Bayley and Balor since NXT know that they have a good chemistry on like the house shows and stuff, so that'll be fun to see. Uh, Kevin Owens and Natalya, two Canadian natives, so that kind of makes sense. A pairing that does not make sense, the last pairing here that I have written down, Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox. What did we do to deserve that pairing? <laughs> that sounds like a fucking disaster on paper. They have no chemistry. Someone tried to write into me on Twitter, which I appreciate. I appreciate that they were, they were making up the logic for the fact that Jinder is trying to calm down Alicia Fox. That was what their logic was for this pairing. And I said... Good on you for actually coming up for a, with a logical explanation as to why they're teaming up. More than WWE probably has. They probably picked names out of a hat and put them together. I have no idea why Jinder Mahal and Alicia Fox have to be on the show. Why waste a spot on them when you can give it to... And maybe Brie Bella won't be around for the long term, but, you know, Brie and Brian would be a good pick. You obviously now have Miz and Maurice, who aren't on the show. We have Miz and Asuka, which, again, I get because they're the reigning champions. But what else? There, there is no reason to not put Andrade Sin Almas and Zelina Vega on this show. Now, they're better than this shit a fucking show. But so is AJ Styles. And AJ's on the show. So, whatever. Um, 
But yeah, I didn't really understand that. We have a, like a renaissance of mixed tag team wrestling right now on SmackDown between Carmella and R-Truth, Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella, Miz and Maurice, Andrade and Zelina, and they're not even on the show. The, the, the pairing that makes the most sense isn't even on the show. Did you really need R-Truth and Carmella? No, you didn't. That's the answer, so... It's really not worth getting bothered about just because it's a fucking show that means nothing. But still, I thought I would bring that up. But on to bigger and better things here. All in from last Saturday at the Sears Center in Chicago. As I said at the start of the show, a very enjoyable event. Now, it was not the greatest wrestling show I've ever seen in my entire existence. But I did think for what it was, it was a lot of fun. That's exactly what this was supposed to be. Just a lot of fun. And I think you would enjoy it more if you did follow the storylines on Being the Elite. They they paid off a lot of angles. Uh, they paid off a lot of long-term angles from Being the Elite at All In. So I think you appreciate the event more had you been following along with the show leading up to All In. But nonetheless, on the kickoff show, what they called Zero Hour, which aired on WGN America prior to the uh, pay-per-view... We had SoCal Uncensored's Frankie Kazarian and Scorpio Sky going over the Briscoes in a non-title matchup. They are vying for the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championships. Um, the Addictions, Kazarian and Christopher Daniels, that is, at the upcoming Ring of Honor pay-per-view later this month. So it made sense for them to go over. They were also very over here as well. Um, being the Elite has been a great platform for many people to... I mean, like, Jay Lethal's been on the show a lot. He was already over, obviously. But, like, for SoCal Uncensored, it's been such a great platform for them to get over their characters, for the for the fans to get familiar with who they are and what they're about and to love them or hate them or whatever. Because here they were, like, revered. When they first joined forces, I think it was that final battle, the pay-per-view that I went to last year in New York City. You know, it was cool, but people didn't really care. People were like, eh, you know, it wasn't really anything special, like, at all. Um... But still, you know, I'm glad they've um, since picked up momentum. They won here, and they will be getting their shot at the Ring of Honor World Tag Team Championship in just mere weeks. I think it might be the final Friday of September, if I'm not mistaken. Let me look at my calendar here. I think it might be either the 21st or the 28th. Something tells me the 28th. So, death before dishonor, um, Kazarian and Daniels will be getting their shot at the Ring of Honor Tag Team titles. Also on the all-in zero-hour kickoff show, we had the over-budget uh, Battle Royal to determine a number one contender to the Ring of Honor World Championship. Now, I don't know if this is a stretch or not, but this was easily the best Battle Royal I have seen in a long, long time. Like, that's no joke. This Battle Royal had everything that you would ever want from a multi-person Battle Royal. And I say person because we had uh, Jordan Grace. I think that's how you pronounce her name. It might be Jordan. It might be Jordan. I'm pretty sure it's Jordan. Uh, she was the only female in the match, but she was among, like, the final three or four people in the match. I'm pretty sure she tossed out Cage. Um, there was a lot of, like, suspend your disbelief moments, like Hurricane choke slamming um, Cage, and then choke slamming, I think, Punishment Martinez. Like, a lot of dumb stuff, but it was a lot of fun. The crowd ate it up. I thought it was awesome. I thought this was a great battle royal, and quite honestly, I think I enjoyed this more than almost... not everything, but, like, this was one of the more entertaining matches of the night, in my opinion. I enjoyed this more than most matches on this card, but it was still, you know, a lot of fun for a battle royal, and it was on the kickoff show, like I said. So, in the end, um, it came down to Bully Ray, and I think 
Cole Cabana, Chicago's own Cole Cabana. Bully Ray tossed out Cole Cabana. Uh, Bully Ray seemingly won the shot at the strap when the son of Chico from the Being the Elite show came in the match, revealed himself to be Flip Gordon, and uh, tossed out Bully Ray to become the new number one contender to the Ring of Honor World Championship. Um, so a great finish. The crowd ate it up. They were went nuts for Flip Gordon going all in after all this time. Again, they have paid off so many storylines from their weekly YouTube show where for the past year now, Flip Gordon has been saying, I want all in. I want to be on this show. And they said, no. The Young Bucks even came around to warming up to Flip Gordon, wanting him on the card. Cody said, absolutely not. I do not want you at all in. But he was able to work his way into the card here, work his way onto the show by winning this battle royal and getting a match with Jay Lethal later on in the night for the Ring of Honor World Championship. Um, to kick off the actual show, we had Matt Cross, better known as Son of Havoc from Lucha Underground, taking on MGF, who I've never heard of, never seen work before, but he impressed me. I thought he was a good heel here. He reminded me a lot of like EC3 from Impact, now currently in NXT, but like a better wrestler than EC3, like a more a, a, like a better high flyer than EC3. So I thought he was a good character. He impressed me. I thought he had a good showing here. Matt Cross went over in the end. This was a nice, well-wrestled opener, but completely unnecessary. Considering the show ended up going overtime, this, show, this match did not need to happen. Um, it was fine. Again, I enjoyed it for what it was. I thought it kicked out the show on a high note. Like, I think if it took place any later on in the show, the crowd would not have cared about it at all. And they really didn't care to begin with, but I think they gave these guys a better reaction than they probably should have gotten just because... Any, at any other point during the show, the crowd probably would have not given two shits. But for what this was, it was well-wrestled. They served their time well. Matt Cross went over. The right guy went over. Um, but just probably unnecessary, considering they ended up going overtime and almost getting, almost got shut off the air, um, almost had to turn off the main event. And they made it work, which I'll get to at the end, but probably did not need to happen. Christopher Daniels taking on Steven Amell. I thought this was way better than it had any right to be. Considering Amel really does not have that much experience in wrestling, now he's not wrestled a million matches, he's been a part of a few matches in Ring of Honor, in the various other shows, he wrestled that one tag team match at SummerSlam a few years ago, but beyond that, the guy does not have a lot of wrestling experience, so gotta give props to him for having a hell of a showing here, looked like he belonged in that ring, which was great to see. I mean, they did all the obvious spots with him going through the table and all this other stuff, I saw people say that they were surprised that Daniels won here. He was my pick to win. I think everyone that I picked to win went over here, with the exception of, like, Gordon winning the Battle Royal because I didn't think he'd be a part of it. But Daniels going over, to me, was like a surefire pick. I mean, he's a veteran. He's been around for, like, 25, 30 years at this point. Having him lose to Amel, especially if Amel's not going to be around for the long term, kind of made no sense. And, again, this was this show was not about making sense. It was not about wins and losses, but I just thought that was weird that so many people thought Amel was going over. Maybe they're just so used to the WWE formula of like celebrities winning their matches all the time, regardless of who it's against. That should not have happened here. It didn't. But Amel, if he didn't have my respect before, he does now after the performance that he put forth here. I thought he did a great job with what he was given, and obviously Daniels um, bumping very, very well for Amel and looking great in there too. Picking up the win as he should have, as I, as I said. In a four-corner survival match, the all-women's match on the show, I believe the first all-women's match to air in New Japan World, the second-ever all-women's match to air in New Japan World, excuse me, 
Um, I watched the show in Honor Club, by the way, the later that night and the next morning. I think they got cut off. They definitely got cut off. Um, so I had to catch the last 45 minutes of the show elsewhere. But you can watch the show in Honor Club. I believe it's now up on New Japan World. It took some time, but it's finally up there. Um, anyway, in regards to this match, I thought it was a great match. I thought these women fucking went in there, killed it, kicked ass, and had one of the better matches of the entire show. Um, and I'm not really sure people were expecting that, because I think this might have been the only match in the entire card, with the exception of Matt Cross and MJF, that had no prior buildup on the Being the Elite show. It was just announced that we're having a women's match, and they'd all be practically facing each other. And that was about it. But they went in there and had just an awesome showing. All four of them did. All four women looked like they belonged. Uh, Britt Baker, the girlfriend of Adam Cole Bebe, she went in there, came out to Adam Cole's theme music from Ring of Honor, which was a cool little nod to the former Ring of Honor world champion and her boyfriend. Uh, Madison Rain went in there, had a great showing. I talked about her last week, how WWE, if they were smart, they would sign her immediately coming off her performance in the Mae Young Classic. Now, I know I have no idea how well she did, if she even had good matches, but... Madison Rain is really killing it right now between the Mae Young Classic, between her uh, between her work with Impact and Ring of Honor, now All In. She didn't win here, but again, Madison Rain, years removed from when she was really last relevant in Impact as a multi-time knockouts champion, has really reinvented herself in 2018, so it's great to see. Chelsea Green, speaking of Impact, the former Impact knockouts champion and the current Impact knockouts champion, Tessa Blanchard, winning this match. Uh, Green, I'm surprised, has not been signed already by WWE. I might have talked about this last week, but I'm pretty sure she was a part of, I know for a fact that she had a tryout with WWE, uh, one of those camps earlier this year, like back in June, July, maybe. And we've heard nothing about her getting signed. Same thing with Robbie E., the former TNA World Tag Team Champion, uh, was never signed by the company as well. I think he also was a part of that tryout, which... Robbie E, I'm not surprised. Uh, Chelsea Green, maybe slightly. I think she's really come a long way from where she was when she was on Tough Enough like three years ago. Maybe at some point down the road, but I would like to see her now next at some point. I thought here she really did well for herself and was one of the biggest standouts, in, not only in the match, but the entire show. And Blanchard's just a bona fide star. I think, you know, she too, a couple of years ago, was in NXT doing job matches every other month, like being brought in to lose to fucking Carmella and Alexa Bliss. Nia Jax, and now two years later, she's one of the hottest, figuratively and literally, um, women's free agents in all of wrestling right now. I think she just signed with Women of Wrestling um, this past week on Wednesday or something, which is in association with Access or something along those lines, but like I said, she also recently won the Impact Knockouts Championship, I think a week ago, so uh, Tessa Blanchard is really doing a great job right now on the indie scene. I was surprised they didn't pick her up, NXT didn't. Uh, it might be an attitude issue. I don't know what it is, but Tessa Blanchard, even though she's not in WWE, is a bona fide star. And if WWE had any sense, they would bring her in at some point to feed the Charlotte. I mean, after a run in NXT, of course. But Blanchard and Charlotte, with the family history they have on paper, it just makes too much sense to not do eventually. So, hopefully down the road. But I would have to assume that Blanchard will be NXT bound inevitably. Uh, so that was a great match. I really, really enjoyed that. The finish was kind of a little off. They got a standing ovation towards the end. Um, I think Green hit a Canadian Destroyer. I want to say on Rain. It might have been Baker, but on one of those two. I think it was on Blanchard, actually. She hit a Canadian Destroyer on Blanchard. Blanchard kicked out. The crowd just went nuts for it. 
and then Blanchard came back, hit her finisher, and, like, that was it. But not only was that it, it was not only abrupt, but, like, it looked like Rain had broke up the pinfall, but she didn't. It was very strange, but the right woman went over, I thought, anyway. Uh, for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Now, this match, I talked about it last week here on the show. I did not think would be great. At least as great as it was. Uh, Cody Nick all this year, I thought, went out and had a kick-ass match for a championship that, quite honestly, has not been relevant in close to, like, what, 15, 20, 30 years? The NWA really fell off the face of the earth a long time ago. And you got to give all the credit in the world to Billy Corgan for taking the reins over about a year ago and doing everything he can to make the NWA what it was when he was a kid, to make it mean something again. And Nick Aldis, I talked about it. I loved Magnus and TNA. I thought he had a great run there. I was one of his biggest supporters. But he really has never had like that five-star classic match. Not to say that this was it. But this was easily the best Nick Aldis match I've ever seen. Easily. It's not even close. Um, So I thought he went out there and killed it as well. But the build-up to the match alone got them a standing ovation before the match even started. Before they even fucking touched in the middle of the ring at All In. Like, that just goes to show the power of social media and being the elite and 10 pounds of gold. The other YouTube show that the NWA... YouTube channel currently runs, really does go to show go to show how the buildup of, of a match cannot be understated, really is important to the success of a match. And without that build, this match may not have been as special as it was. I think everyone already knew that Cody was winning and becoming the NWA world champion. I mean, how could he not? It was the, it was the same belt that his dad held 30, 40 years ago. And it was like on this day, not on the exact day, but like almost exactly 38 years removed from his dad winning that championship. Cody won it at All In, which is pretty fucking cool. But yeah, I thought it was just the whole thing, the whole presentation was really, really well done from the entrances to the in-ring announcing. Everything about this was very special. And I loved it. Now, I could have done without the interference from like DDP laying out the fucking... (laughs) Lent out Sean Devari in 2018 with a diamond cutter. I could have done without that, but hey, I'm a DDP fan. I, I didn't hate it. I just thought it was a bit weird now to place in a match like this. Or Brandy Rhodes getting involved and taking an elbow for Cody. The storytelling I thought was on point. The blading also might have been a little much, too. It was obviously forced, but I could see what they were going for. They wanted the same visual of Dusty winning the NWA world title the same way that his son Cody now did. Um, with blood all over his face. I get it, with a crimson mask, as they once said, as um, um, as the commentators would once say about Dusty Rhodes and forgot, uh, Gordon Soley, I think that was his classic line, a crimson mask, when someone was bleeding and they were just drenching blood. And uh, Cody had that same visual when he won the championship. I got what they were going for, and I liked that aspect of it. Overall, I loved this. I really did. I thought the, the fallout, the aftermath was great with the celebration, with Cody. Again, I think it could have worked in the main event spot. Um, I was surprised it went on as early in the show as it did, but I think they were smart to put it in the middle of the show because I'm not sure if the crowd would have been any hotter if they saved it for the end. Because obviously by the end, people were tired. They were pretty quiet during Okada and Skrull. So I'm kind of glad they, they saved this for like, 
let's see, the one, two, three, the fourth match on the show. And it came off like a big moment. Props to Cody, props to Nick Aldis, and everyone else involved for making this as meaningful and for making this as special as it felt. I thought it was uh, two thumbs up worthy. In a Chicago street fight, we had Adam Page, Hangman Adam Page, taking on Joey Janela. You had to know exactly where this is going. Obviously, hardcore matches are their forte. They went the extra mile in making this as brutal and as bloody as possible, and they succeeded in that respect. They took a literal cracker barrel and threw each other into it, which I thought was awesome, considering, again, all the callbacks to um, the Cracker Barrel on being the elite and whatever and their obsession with that restaurant. And Cracker Barrel is pretty damn good. I'm not saying it's not, but I just thought it was funny. Anyway, um, so they did that. They jumped off of ladders, did all this other crazy-ass shit that really, quite honestly, they probably should not have done. But I'm sure Joey Janela, from what I know about him and from what I've seen him involved in, has probably done a lot worse, so it wasn't the end of the world. But I thought it was a very entertaining match. Some people probably hated it. Some people probably hated the entire presentation of what we were about to see on this show, or what we were about to see in later on after this match. So Adam Page goes over after like he brought out the boots and all this other stuff. Again, to any other wrestling fan watching the show, you're probably thinking, what the hell is the significance of the boots? And it was obviously revealed in Being the Elite when he killed Joey Ryan that he used the boots to batter him and make him, you know, to batter him up and bloody him up and all this other stuff. So again, to anyone else, they're probably thinking, what the fuck are the significance of these boots? Why does the crowd care so much? And there you go. There's your answer. So Paige wins. Afterward, his um, post-match celebration is interrupted by the penis druids. Um, This was... Again, quite the sight to see. So there was footage of Joey Bryan's dead body from a few months ago when he got killed on being the elite by Adam Page. So we see his dead body. They pan down, and he's <laughs> he starts to have an erection. And this does not surprise me at all, knowing the Joey Ryan character and from what we've seen of him in the past, and especially on being the elite. Again, this was dumb as fuck, but I thought, like I talked about in Hashtag Asked You Some on Wednesday... It was so dumb that it worked. I thought, anyway. Some people probably really, really hated it. I thought it was hilarious. I really did. Um, you can't do this type of stuff all the time, but for the build that it got, I thought it was hilarious. So the penis druids come out, and that leads to the return of the highly anticipated comeback of Joey Ryan. So Joey Ryan comes back. He comes out. He lays out Adam Page, does the whole penis flip I, I don't know what you would call it. I think there's a there's a name for the move. I don't know. The move that got him over in the first place, that got him, that allowed him to become a viral sensation on the internet about a year or two ago. So he does that to Adam Page, and that leads to, <laughs> that leads to Page being carried out of the arena by the penis druids. You can't make this shit up, people. You can't make this shit up. Again, I just thought everything about this was, hilarious. You can't do it all the time. You can't do it even, I mean, it has to be the right circumstances because I know WWE would be, you know, raked over the coals if they did something like this on their national programs. But I think for the all-in show, not to sound like a hypocrite, but I thought for what it was, I enjoyed it because they did it with the right people and it was insanely stupid, but the crowd loved it and I thought it was hilarious. So again, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I thoroughly enjoyed it personally. 
Um, we had for the Ring of Honor World Championship, Jay Lethal taking on the newly crowned number one contender, Flip Gordon. But it wasn't your average Jay Lethal. Instead of coming out to his regular Ring of Honor music, he came out to the Pomp and Circumstance music, the old theme song of Macho Man Randy Savage. For what other reason? Because Jay Lethal came out as black fucking machismo on this show. <laughs> Again, you have to watch Being the Elite to really get the storylines, but Jay Lethal's been doing this gimmick for months now about how every time that he's hit on the shoulder, he becomes Macho Man Randy Savage. And he even came out with Lanny Poffo, the real-life brother, the genius Lanny Poffo, the brother of Randy Savage. So again, the whole thing I thought was awesome. I really love this. The crowd loved seeing Black Machismo. It probably made the match more entertaining, to be honest with you, because as a wrestling match, it was good. At one point, Lethal snapped out of the Black Machismo character and went back to being regular old Jay Lethal. It was a good match. I thought it was a great match, actually. But I think the fact that we got Black Machismo uh, brought back if only for one night, I thought that was what made this work tremendously well. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great to see the Ring of Honor World Championship defended on a show like this. The Ring of Honor World title has really been, um, you know, it's, it's been through a lot over the last 16 years or so from when the company was founded and debuted and here they are today. Because Ring of Honor really was one of the first indie promotions following the close of, along with Impact and TNA, whatever, but after the close of ECW and WCW in 2001, Ring of Honor was founded and has been here ever since and have been the, the constant of indie wrestling in the last 16 years. So I thought it was fitting to have the Ring of Honor World Championship defended on this show. And I thought both guys had a hell of a showing. It was a very fun match. And Jay Lethal was successful in his defense of the Ring of Honor World Championship. Um, and what was billed as a dream match, and rightfully so, we had Kenny Omega taking on Penta Zero M. Better known as Pentagon Jr., Pentagon Dark, um, Penta Zero, or ZM, whatever. He goes by so many names, I have no idea what to call him, other than just Pentagon Jr. I call him Pentagon Jr., that's what I'm going to go by. Um, I'm a big Penta fan. Anyone who knows me well enough knows I love Penta. He's easily my favorite performer in Lucha Underground. He's doing great work right now in Impact. Um, him and Kenny Omega really ripped it up here. We're given a ton of time, made the most of it for sure. The crowd was into this. Every step of the way, they got that holy shit chain out of the way, or this is awesome. I forgot which one it was. Before the bell even rang. A lot like with Cody and Nick Aldis. So again, um, they really had that big fight feel here. They went back and forth. And Penta, he had his work cut out for him. I know the guy's a great wrestler and all, but he really relies sometimes a bit too much on hardcore wrestling style. I mean, just a few weeks ago, the guy had a fucking um, Mexican death match on Impact TV in the same week where he had a last man or machine standing match on Lucha Underground. He, he headlined both shows in the same week, within 24 hours. Now, one was taped like a month ago, the other one was taped like six months ago, but still, that's pretty cool. Um, he's a former, I don't know if he's held the AAA championship, but he's definitely held gold there. He's a former Lucha Underground champion, or currently is as of this recording. He probably dropped it months ago, but as of the airing of the show, he's still Lucha Underground champion. And um, he held the Impact World Championship just a few short months ago. So, again, um, Penta really is out of breakout year. Had another feather in the cap here by taking the IWGP champion to his limit. Nearly beating Kenny Omega. I figured Omega would go over. I'm glad he did. I mean, Penta winning would, in theory, earn him a shot at the IWGP Championship, which you know will not happen. So he might as well, you know, go over and avoid that whole situation. So Omega goes over. After an amazing match, the lights go out. 
Crowd starts buzzing. Who are we going to say? Who are we going to say? You know, I, I think we all, not every, I can't say everybody. I think very few people got their hopes up for a CM Punk appearance. It wasn't going to happen. I talked about it last week. I talked about it three months ago. As soon as he did that sit-down interview with Ariel Hawani right before his second UFC fight, he made it pretty clear that he was never coming back to wrestling, at least anytime soon. He had no desire to come back whatsoever. Um, he didn't feel comfortable in front of crowds. Like, it wasn't a WWE thing, and it kind of is, obviously. Like, he's in that fuck WWE campaign currently, obviously, after all the bad blood between the two sides over the last four years. But it was also just a case where he didn't feel comfortable with wrestling in general, which is why he has done nothing wrestling-related since. And he feels he has since moved on from that. People were saying, oh, if he loses a UFC, he's definitely all in, like... Obviously not the case. Like, he'll still do signings every now and again. He did the one at Pro Wrestling Tees on the Saturday of the show, that morning, I believe. So he very easily could have appeared, I guess, if he wanted to. Or maybe it was the Friday, I forgot. But he could have appeared. I think Cody even said in an interview that he reached out to Punk. Punk either didn't respond or he had no interest. So at least they tried. Uh, They didn't get Punk. I talked about Neville possibly being all in last week after the official departure um, after his official release. Now, WWE has yet to put out a statement. Sometimes they don't. Um, I'm just assuming that he is gone based off the fact that he's been in the alumni section for the past week now. So people got their hopes up that uh, that Puck, Neville, whatever you want to call him, might show up here. Of course, he didn't. I don't know what his status is or where he's at. I think he's currently in England. It, w- it really would have been a last-minute thing. And I think people got their hopes up just because the Young Bucks even teased it on Twitter uh, right before All In. So I think at some point, you know, he could be, maybe not all in, but like, I don't know if they'll do even a second one, but like, he could be in Ring of Honor. I would suspect New Japan is likely where he will end up, but it wasn't Neville, it wasn't CM Punk, but rather Chris Jericho. And the way they did this, I thought was awesome. So the lights come back on, you're expecting to see someone in the ring. There was no one in the ring, except for the same site that we saw before the lights went out, which was Kenny Omega still standing there, draped against the ropes, and Penta ZOM on the ground. So, Kenny Omega's like, okay, must have been a glitch, like, the lights just went out, blah, blah, blah. So, he resumes celebrating before Pentagon Jr. rises to his feet and starts to attack Kenny Omega before we find out that it is indeed not Pentagon Jr., but rather Chris Jericho. Now, Chris Jericho said for months that he would not be at all in. It was beneath him, all this other stuff. I don't want to take a shot at WWE by doing one of the shows in this country, which is why I've only wrestled in Japan. Well... He threw that out the window by showing up at the biggest non-WWE show in the last 50, 60 years in the U.S. Uh, by attacking Kenny Omega. Now, this is not leading to another one-on-one match, nor should it. It would make absolutely no sense. Kenny Omega Kenny Omega beat him clean 1-2-3 in the Wrestle Kingdom match earlier this year. It was a phenomenal match. Arguably one of the best Chris Jericho matches of all time. One of the best Jericho matches in his entire career. And another feather in the cap for Kenny Omega, too, in beating Chris Jericho. But there's no reason to do a rematch, especially while Omega is the IWGP champion, and especially while Jericho is still the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, which I think a lot of people tend to forget that Jericho is still the IWGP IC Champion. Um, I'm not even sure if that belt's still a thing or if it's been defunct. Like, I have no clue. Um, I know people tend to shit on Brock Lesnar. Oh, he never shows up. I know he's no longer the champion now, but oh, he never shows up. He's not a real champion. Okay, and I agree, but what about Chris Jericho? That guy has legit not shown up in a New Japan ring since he won the championship three months ago. Like, 
a bit of double standards, but it is what it is. So Jericho shows up, lays out Kenny Omega, two code breakers, crowd goes nuts, and the same city where he debuted 19 years ago, almost exactly, back in August of 1999 in WWE. Jericho takes the mic and says, see you on the Jericho Cruise. So made it pretty apparent right there that they are not having another match at All In 2 or at a future Wrestle Kingdom show or a New Japan show, but rather on the Jericho Cruise, which has been set in stone now for about a year. I mean, actually, they thought people thought that their match would happen on the cruise. Um, Jericho and Omega started going back and forth about a year ago, like last October, November, and people thought that it would happen on the cruise because they were joking that it would never happen in WWE, it wouldn't happen in space, it must happen on water, and then it happened at Wrestle Kingdom. So I'm glad they got that out of the way there. And instead on the cruise they're doing, I believe, and I might be mistaken, Jericho and the Young Bucks teaming up for the first time ever against Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty Skrull. And it might be Adam Page. I'm pretty sure it's Marty Skrull, though. Um, so that's a great match on paper. That should be a lot of fun. It sucks we won't be able to see it. It's not being streamed anywhere, and why would it? If you want to watch the match, go on the fucking cruise. That's the whole point. It's got to be exclusive. So that kind of sucks, but I'm sure there will be some fan footage on someone's flip phone, on someone's flip phone or something, of uh, Jericho and the Young Bucks taking on Omega, Skrull, and Cody. It sounds like an awesome match on paper. So, uh, best of luck to the guys in the Jericho Cruise, and hoping hopefully it all goes well and all goes smoothly, and it doesn't, you know, there's no, uh, there's no issues with the cruise, and they can um, have some uh, smooth sailing on the seas of what is it, Florida and New York. I don't know where they're going on this cruise, but. It sounds like a fun time if it wasn't so much money. After that, we had Marty Skrull taking on Kazuchika Okada in the first ever one-on-one encounter between the two. Another fun match that went way too long um, in a follow-up from all the reports of Marty Skrull and Okada going long, which is why the show had to end early. Skrull said in an interview with, I believe, I think it was Sean Mooney's podcast, um, this past week, that their match did not go overtime. They went the maybe a minute overtime, but it was other matches on the card that went overtime, not their match. So even if it wasn't supposed to go overtime, I think this was still a little too long. 26 minutes, I mean, really not necessary. I thought it was a great match, though. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It wasn't, I saw people saying it was the best match in the show. Hey, to each their own. Um, apples to oranges, whatever. But I thought they were much better. I enjoyed Omega in... Pentagon Jr., I enjoyed the Battle Royal, I enjoyed I enjoyed Cody and Nick Aldis, I enjoyed even the women's match more than Okada and Squirrel, which again was great, and some very good storytelling here in psychology, but overall I thought the other matches were better. So in predictable fashion, Okada goes over, as he probably should have, there was really no reason for Squirrel to win. I know people are saying there's being tension teased, Squirrel wasn't out there after the show. Squirrel said in the interview that he wasn't there because... He was taking a shower or something. I don't know how true that is. I know his match was right before the main event, which honestly might be true, but you would think that the Young Bucks would fill in Squirrel like, hey, after the show, we're going to cut a promo. And you don't, you know, just keep that in mind if you're going to take a shower after your match is over. So I don't know. I found that to be a little strange, but that led us to the main event, which was the Golden League consisting of the Young Bucks and Kota Ibushi taking on Rey Mysterio, Bandito, and Rey Phoenix in which was an awesome main event that only lasted about 10-11 minutes because the show went so long. They had to literally go off the air within like three seconds. They ended the match, announced the winners, the commentators barely had a chance to sign off, and the show went off the air. 
That was all it was. So, again, they really had to rush things, but it was good. I enjoyed it for what it was. For the time they were given, I thought it was great. Everyone got their spots, and Rey Mysterio was still killing it, even as he enters the twilight of his career. Uh, Ray Phoenix really is one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. I think that's been evident for a while based off his work in Impact and in uh, Lucha Underground and AAA. So great to see him do his thing. Bandito I am not familiar with at all. He really didn't... Not that he didn't impress me, but they didn't really have much time to establish him as being on the same level as Phoenix and Rey Mysterio. Um, but they, you know, he had a good showing as well. And I thought he held his own. And obviously the Golden Elite, Abushi and the Young Bucks... Had awesome chemistry. I thought they really had a hell of a showing here for the time they were given, and they went over, closing out the show on a high note, literally and figuratively. So overall, all in, I give two thumbs up. I think it's definitely worth watching, worth checking out. The whole show, yes, uh, just for the indie feel of it, and you wouldn't think it like it was an indie show. I've seen a lot of indie shows. This was better production than most Ring of Honor pay-per-views I watch. And that's no joke. Like, there weren't really any issues. I did not watch it on Fight TV, as many other people did. They had problems with that. I watched it on Honor Club after the fact, and I thought everything was pretty much seamless, which was cool. Um, But again, if you're going to watch back the show, just cherry pick, I would say. Um, The whole show is worth watching, but definitely check out the Battle Royal, the women's match, Cody and Aldis, Omega and Pentagon Jr., and the main event. I thought those matches were the best of the bunch. Nothing else like, offended me, though. I didn't think there was anything that was like, oh, my God, this was awful. Like Usually, like with the WWE pay-per-views, but with this show, I really did not have any of that at all. There was nothing about the show that made me angry or made me feel frustrated or like made me regret watching it or like, oh, this is such a waste of my time. Nope, this was not Extreme Rules 2018. This was not Backlash 2018. This was all fucking in. So, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Will they do a second one? I imagine they will. I can't I can't see them not doing another one after the success of this show. They might not do another star cast. I had heard that was... It went off amazingly well. Um, but at the same time, I mean, there was a lot of moving parts with that thing and everything else going on. So, I'm not surprised they might not do another one of that. At least to the extent that they did. Um, but again, for the show itself, I thought it was phenomenal. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and really just a celebration of all things indie wrestling. It wasn't a Bullet Club, Stroke, or Ego-like show. Like, there was a lot of Bullet Club on the show, a lot of Bullet Club elements, especially if you watch Being the Elite, but if for nothing else, it was awesome to see so many competitors from so many different companies, AAA, Ring of Honor, Impact, Lucha Underground, New Japan, all come together for one show. That alone, I thought, was phenomenal. Really, everyone outside of WWE came together to do their thing and showcase the best of the best outside of WWE. And I appreciated that it wasn't like a fuck WWE campaign because really nothing is gained from that. Nothing is gained from WWE. You know, seeing... I mean, seeing them as competition is one thing, and they should. Everyone that's not in WWE is competition, But at the same time, WWE shouldn't sign people for the sake of signing them away from Ring of Honor or New Japan. That, to me, is so stupid. So, again, I imagine they will do a second one. Probably not anytime soon. The build-up to this one was so amazingly well done over the course of, like, five, six, seven, eight months that it's going to take a while before they do a second one. But, as you said on hashtag AskGSum on Wednesday, I see the MSG show 
that's being promoted by Ring of Honor and New Japan, the joint show over WrestleMania weekend. I see that as all in too. Because really, a lot of the same people that were on this show will be on that one, including Christopher Daniels. Um, I'm sure some of the women that are with Ring of Honor. Cody, definitely, maybe Nick Aldis. Adam Page, for sure. Jay Lethal, for sure. Flip Gordon, for sure. Kenny Omega, absolutely. Um, Pentagon, probably not, obviously. But Okada, yes. Marta Scroll, yes. The Golden Elite, yes. Rey Mysterio will likely be in WWE at that point, but Phoenix, eh, maybe not. But I would say at least half of the people that were on the show will be at the MSG show. And it's going to be a lot like this one where it's going to be a lot of fun. I will not be there. The tickets sold out within 10 minutes anyway. Or something crazy like that. But even the people that I'm going to WrestleMania weekend with probably would not be as interested in the MSG show as they would be TakeOver. So I'm going to TakeOver instead. I'm sure I won't be disappointed because that show is going to be amazing as well. I mean, the WrestleMania TakeOver's never disappoint. I went to the one in Orlando, which was pretty good. It wasn't must-see. But I'm glad I went. It was a great show. Um, but point being the WrestleMania takeovers, WrestleMania weekend takeovers are always entertaining. So I'm sure I won't regret my choice, but again, all in two, I think is only inevitable. And I got to give props to Cody and the young bucks for putting together such a terrific event that really went off without a hitch for a show that was put together by three people who are not promoters and are just wrestlers really at the end of the day. Uh, it really is amazing that there were not more issues with this show. With people no showing or any production errors or the show just dying out. Again, they had a rush at the end there to get off the network. To get off pay-per-view before they, uh, the time ran out. But beyond that, um, other than them almost running out of time, I thought everything else really went over perfectly. The crowd loved it. The audience was great. The atmosphere was electric. And again, I watched it on Honor Club. No issues whatsoever, which I loved. I was able to watch the first two hours, um, on Saturday night, which was great. You can also watch it on New Japan World. You can find, I'm sure, some free links online. But for a show that was never supposed to be broadcast in the first place, I'm glad it was. Um, So we can all enjoy it as wrestling fans, as one unit together. So anyway, from there, we go to WWE on uh, Monday's Raw. I always hate doing these transitions because Raw never measures up, ever. This week's show, I don't want to say it was terrible. It was just a really weird episode of Raw. So the Shield got arrested at the start of the show. After attacking Braun Strowman, Dolph Ziggler, and Drew McIntyre. They got arrested. They ended up coming back at the end of the show. Even though they were arrested. They did this show-long storyline where they were in jail for like three hours. And ended up getting released on a holiday at like 10.57. How the hell does that happen? I know Corey Graves put more effort into explaining that little tidbit on Twitter than WWE did, so thanks to Corey for doing that, but still, that's some pretty lazy writing. That wasn't even really what bothered me. It was more so the fact that we have another fucking heel faction on Raw consisting of Corbin and every other heel on the roster. How many times have we seen this where the heel authority figure teams up with the entire, you know, has the entire heel roster rally up and team up against the Shield or another babyface like Daniel Bryan five years ago or Seth Rollins a few years ago or Roman Reigns a few years ago. Like, I feel like we see this shit all the fucking time. And this was no different. Now, it would be one thing if it was just the normal, the normal regular heels that you're used to seeing. Seeing Braun Strowman involved in this really was annoying. It was confirmed on Raw this week that the heel turn was legit. It is sticking. 
I'm not a fan of it at all. I mean, the guy was so over his face. Why the hell would you do that? Why the hell would you turn him heel? Um, and the crowd just could not care less. By the end of the show, when they were beating down the shield, people loved the shield. People love Braun too, but they're not really sure how to react seeing Braun team up with Dolphin Drew and the rest of the jabronis on the Raw heel roster. Um, it just, I don't know, it didn't really make much sense and the crowd didn't really react and they really had no reason to. So I thought that was stupid. The Bella Twins came back in their first match together on Raw and I believe about three years, um, JoJo had said. They did not look good. Nikki was alright. Brie looked atrocious. There were two spots in particular. Now again, ring rust. There's something to be said for that. I know she was in the women's rumble, but she has not wrestled a real match in like two and a half years. So I get it. She looked good on SmackDown too when she knocked out Zelina Vega with like a knee or something. So good on her. But I thought this match was just bad. It was pretty bad. Again, Nikki looked all right. Bray was was pretty bad. Two spots in particular when she went to go through the ropes and over the ropes and she failed miserably. It was, again, pretty embarrassing. So they went over, obviously. Um, I'm sure that's setting up some sort of match with Ronda Rousey at Evolution. They are teaming with Ronda against the Riot Squad at um, the WWE Super Showdown show in Australia next month. And that's the kicker. Like, if the Bella Twins can beat the Riot Squad on their own, then why the fuck do they need Ronda Rousey? Who can probably also do it on her own? Is this why they gave the Riot Squad so many wins so many weeks in a row just to be fed to the fucking Bella Twins? Come on. They're better than this. Ruby Riot's better than that. Banks and Bailey are better than that. What a waste. Bobby Roode and Chad Gable teamed up against the Ascension in a victorious effort um, coming out on the winning end. Honestly, I really enjoyed this. I thought Bobby Roode and Chad Gable made for a really fun tag team. For whatever reason, it just brought back memories of beer money. Because on paper, let's be honest, Bobby Roode and James Storm should not have had any chemistry at all. They really should not have. But they ended up, you know, forming a, you know, a cohesive unit, coming together and having a great tag team and being one of the best, one of my favorite tag teams in the last 10 years between any wrestling company. WWE, TNA, whatever. Chad Gable's a lot like that. He's a tag team specialist anyway, having history with Jason Jordan, a former NXT and SmackDown tag team champion. Um, But still, I thought with Gable and Rude, they're not doing anything on their own anyway. So why the hell not? I read a report on Wednesday that said, I think it was the court in the cage side seats. This is purely speculation. No inside you know, inside scoop or anything, but, like, it could be leading to Bobby Roode turning on Chad Gable. I'm done with the fucking rumors of Bobby Roode going heel. If the guy was going to go heel, they would have turned him heel six months ago. Like, let's go already. Turn him heel, let's move on. The guy works so much better as a heel. But I'm fine with this for now. It adds a new team to the Raw Tag Team Division, which is depleted anyway. The B team are a joke. The authors of Pain are finally getting a reboot, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, Titus Worldwide's on the skids, thank God, because no one cared about him anyway. Um, I think Hardy and Wyatt aren't even really existing anymore, because Hardy got hurt. So, they need more teams, and Rude and Gable could be the answer to that issue. So, again, so far, so good. I like what they've done. I thought Gable coming out to the Rude entrance and doing the whole glorious shtick, I thought was hilarious. So, they could really take off as a fun tag team, if given the chance to develop their characters, unlike Gable and Shelton Benjamin were over on SmackDown about a year ago. Alexa Bliss had a match with Natalia on the show. Really was not that good. It was over within a minute or two. Alexa Bliss won 
And that was about it. Ronda Rousey came out to lay out Alexa again. So, Alexa really has no momentum whatsoever before the pay-per-view next Sunday. Even if her and Alicia Fox beat Ronda and Natalya next week on Raw, I don't really see how people can see Alexa as a threat based off how she's been booked leading up to the pay-per-view. And I know you got to make Ronda look strong. She can't be get her ass kicked by Alexa Bliss every week. That would make no sense. But currently, I know they're why they're doing the rematch, but currently Alexa Bliss is no threat to Ronda Rousey. Not in the slightest. I talked about the Raw Tag Team title picture. The B-Team did drop the belts to Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre in the show. Long overdue. I mean, I would have had it been... I would have it... I would have had the Ascension, or the Ascension, oh, God forbid, the Revival, rather. I'm looking at the Ascension, Bobby Roode, Chad Gable results here on my screen. That's why I said that. Don't think I'm insane. I would have rather had the Revival knock off the B-team for those tag team titles. It looked like they could have. They were scheduled to go for the championships on the show before they were ambushed backstage by Ziggler and McIntyre. Maybe they'll get the run at some point down the road. Who knows? But Ziggler and McIntyre are a much better fit as champions than the B-team were, who were fucking jokes in that role. They had no business being the Raw Tag Team Champions. They were entertaining to an extent, but the joke ran its course three weeks ago, if not further back than that. So anyway, um, Ziggler and McIntyre, your new Raw Tag Team Champions in their pursuit of taking over Monday Night Raw. Um, I mentioned Authors of Pain earlier. They did knock off two local jabronis, Keith Thompson and Jimmy James. What was worth noting about this was that they had a new manager, and it's not Paul Ellering. It's fucking Drake Maverick, the 205 Live GM. Now, I love, I love Drake Maverick. I thought he did uh, great work and impact, TNA. He's an awesome talker. On paper, eh, it's kind of a weird fit. I'm glad authors of Pain are getting a mouthpiece because they sucked without Paul Ellering. That's why they brought in Paul Ellering to begin with. Maybe they thought that Akim and Razor could talk on their own. Eh, they couldn't. They were pretty bad. So... I'm glad they have a mouthpiece again. I think there were a few other people they would have put in that spot before Drake Maverick. But at least the guy's on Raw. He's getting more exposure. As far as I know, he's still doing the 205 Live GM thing. So he's not giving on that. He's not giving up on that too quick. Which is great. The guy's been a great GM for the show for the past six, seven months now. Um, seven or eight, nine months. So I'm glad he's going to be sticking in that role. But he can also multitask by being on Raw and doing the thing with the Authors of Pain. Shawn Michaels came out next to talk about the Triple H and Undertaker match at WWE Super Showdown before being interrupted by none other than The Undertaker. So Taker made a surprise appearance on Raw. Crowd went nuts. I thought this was awesome. I really have no desire at all to see Undertaker and Shawn Michaels Part 3 at WrestleMania 35. I really don't. Um, the thing with that is that if they were going to have Michaels wrestle again, which they shouldn't have anyway. I thought he had the perfect farewell it should have been years ago against CM Punk or Daniel Bryan or AJ Styles. Really, anyone else but The Undertaker because the match is not going to be nearly as good. Shawn Michaels is now eight years older than he was in 2010. The Undertaker, more importantly, is eight years older than he was in 2010. The guy sucked against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33. Now, that might have been partially Roman's fault, but let's face it, Taker looked terrible in that match. He really did. And don't give me the whole, oh, you know, he looked great at WrestleMania 34. Yeah, because he wrestled the fucking two-minute squash against John Cena. And the Rusev match really was not that much better uh, from the greatest Royal Rumble. So, anyway, I really have no desire to see Michaels and Taker again. Really, Michaels wrestling at all. They created intrigue. They created conversation. They got people buzzing. I thought the whole thing was awesome. 
I enjoyed the exchange, but it's like there is no reason to do another match. What, would Michaels come out of retirement just to beat Undertaker? For what reason? For what fucking reason? The streak's dead. Come back and, and go out on a win? Like, who gives a shit? Like, honestly. I mean, I'm sure people would care. It'd be a big draw. Thrice in a lifetime? Like, no thanks. I, I'm all set on, on Shawn Michaels coming back in the ring. Maybe people feel differently. Maybe people will just go nuts for like, oh, we need another DX crowd shop, another classic Shawn Michaels match. Like, it's not going to be a classic Shawn Michaels match. The guy has admitted himself that if he was to wrestle another match, people should not at all get their hopes up. Because he's very likely not the same wrestler that he was eight years ago. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's certain. That's for a fucking fact. It's not like he took four years off like he did from 98 to 2002. It's been twice that time at this point. And he's also 50-something years old. It's not going to be a classic HPK match. It might be 50% of that, if that. Regardless of who it's against, especially The Undertaker, after their first two match of the century candidates in 2010 they they're going to have another match that's going to fucking stink out the joint. Again, I'm good on that front. Sasha Banks and Bailey beat Dana Brooke and Ember Moon in quick, decisive fashion. Brooke was given another opportunity, quote-unquote, to, shake, to showcase her skills here at the hands of Titus Worldwide. She failed. She lost. She's apparently broken off from the group, so she is apparently no more, no longer with them, and good for her, I, I guess. I mean, Dana Brooke really is not that good, so I'm not really sure what plans they have for her. Um, we had a meditation session between Bobby Lashley and Jinder Mahal that was, that was thankfully crashed by Kevin Owens, who returned after a mere week away from Raw. I really have nothing else to say about this other than it was fucking stupid all the way around. Between the Bobby Lashley thing, the Jinder Mahal thing, Kevin Owens coming back after a week, the meditation bullshit, I really have nothing to say about this other than it was absolutely terrible. And then the main event, like I said, was uh, the Shield attacking, or getting attacked rather, by Braun Strowman, Ziggler, Drew McIntyre, and every other heel on the roster. It was Strowman taking on Finn Balor. It was a good match. I liked it. Strowman went over. Not as good as their other matches from a few months ago, but it was good. Too much interference. And that's about it. I'll go quickly through SmackDown, but we'll wrap up after that. On SmackDown, we had Daniel Bryan and Andrade and Alamos going at it again. And another great match, probably even better than the match last week. Bryan went over decisively this time by, I think, pinfall he won. Um, Tom Phillips interviewed Charlotte, Flair, and Becky Lynch. I like their back and forth. The feud's progressing nicely. We had video packages for Jeff Hardy and Randy Orton. Heading into Hell in the Cell and their respective motivations in that matchup. So I'm loving what they're doing right now with Randy and Jeff. Um, Naomi avenged her loss to Peyton Royce from two weeks ago by beating her here. Afterward, Asuka made the save. So it's Asuka and Naomi against the Iconics and, and Australia, their native homeland uh, for the Iconics. At WWE Super Showdown next month, um, Samoa Joe called out AJ Styles, talked about his family once again. AJ came out, beat the shit out of him. That was a great angle. The crowd was hot for it. In a triple threat match to determine who will face the bar next week for a shot at the SmackDown Tag Team titles at Hell in the Cell, we had Rusev Day um, taking on Sanity and the Usos. Rusev Day emerged victorious. And in the main event, The Miz lost to R-Truth, shockingly enough, after interference and a distraction from Daniel Bryan and Brie Bella. So over, it sounds worse than it is. I thought it was a, it was a fine match, better than it probably should have been. And it gave R-Truth a harmless victory. I mean, I think almost should have been Brian, but whatever. 
Anyway, um, I thought this was a great show. Really, really enjoyed it. And 205 Live was good, too. Be sure to check out Gramatelic versus Tony Nese from that show and Cedric Alexander versus TJP. In addition to everything else that happened on NXT and the Mayon Classic on Wednesday night as well. So anyway, guys, before we sign off, you can check me out on the socials. Um, on Twitter, at WrestleRants. On Facebook, at Facebook.com, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. On Instagram, at Instagrammermina. It's I-N-S-T-A-G-R-A-H-A-M-M-I-R-M-I-N-A. Find me on YouTube, too. Subscribe to the channel at YouTube.com, backslash C, backslash Graham.GSM.Matthews. New episodes of WrestleRant Radio every single Thursday right here, not only on NextDayWrestling.net, but also on iTunes. Go to the Apple Podcast app on your phone. Simply search up WrestleRant Radio. You get every new episode on Thursdays, in addition to the entire archive of the show, dating back to October of 2013, nearly five years ago. I've also been informed you can check out the show on various other platforms. So it's on Podbean. Like I said, it's on my website, NextDayWrestling.net. I think it's just a lot easier on iTunes. You can listen to it whenever you want. You can go back. It's a lot easier. Rewind, all that other great stuff. So be sure to check that out on all the platforms where you listen to podcasts. And that's about it. Next week, we will have my predictions and maybe a guest as well, depending on what my time frame is, for Hell in a Cell next Sunday. So until then, guys, have a great rest of your weekend. I'm Graham Jason Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road.